0: give you that international sensation.
1: What good is sitting alone in your room? Welcome to Queer the Now, the Talk Film Society podcast where we take you on a time-hopping journey through queer cinema, going decade by decade to discover how it has evolved over the years. I am your host, Dave, and I'm here with my co-host, Manish Mathur. Manish, are you happy to, like, a little behind the scenes, we haven't recorded in a while, so are you excited to, like, get back to this now? Oh, I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to this for weeks and weeks. <laughs> yes it's been uh we've been uh podcasting through interesting times so you just never know like we might go weeks without podcasting and then we <laughs> yeah. might record four days in a row you just never know what's going to happen but yeah. if you are up on things we are in the midst of our decade of the 1930s we just finished with uh the public enemy and the movie for 1932 um which would have been uh timely about a month ago if you were recording uh is mm-hmm. the old dark house this was A movie actually, I think I first watched in one of those like Twitter challenges where you watch 31 horror movies through October. Um so that yeah, which is exhausting and stupid. Don't do that. Uh unless you're our uh our our friend Matt. Matt loves to do that, I know, but uh I just can't guys can't do it. I can't limit myself that way. I gotta watch whatever I'm in the mood for. But the old dark house, and I think it'll be interesting. To see this for a second time for me to watch it from a queer angle, um, so I'm excited about that. Is this a movie that you've seen before?
0: No, I haven't actually. Um, it's a movie that I had, I guess, heard of, uh, not really within a uh, queer context, but mostly within the context of like, um, you know, like a low budget hour hour long, you know, horror movies from this era, you know, James Whale, that kind of thing. So I kind of knew about it in that context, but watching it from this lens I I think was a very interesting uh, experience.
1: Right, and speaking of James Whale, we always kind of like to mention, you know, probably the queer people who were involved uh, yeah. in this movie. So that's that's definitely one, and I only know that because of, you know, movies like Gods and Monsters uh, where Ian McKellen played <laughs> James Whale. Uh, but I don't know about I don't know about anyone else in this movie because I think it's really it's going to be really interesting, and we've kind of talked about this a little bit. But going through the 1930s, definitely a lot different from the 2010s, and I think a lot of it is going to play maybe play with gender more than sexual. But I don't think there was that, like, that that rod of difference between them back then, where it was like I think if if you had a man dressing femininely or a woman dressing masculinely or playing those roles, I think that was kind of code for queerness. Whereas now I think there's a little bit like you can kind of do both or do one separately.
0: Yeah, yeah, I uh, I I think it's very. I, I think one of the cool things about doing this decade, uh, and even going forward, you know, into the, I guess even through the nineteen fifties, even nineteen sixties, I guess, but like, it's kind of interesting to think about, um, you know, how these movies kind of danced around, sort of the big, you know, the the big Q word, right, and mm-hmm. how like there are so many codes and and things like that and like your point about, you know, this the the idea of being more about gender. I think that's really interesting. It's hard it's, I think it's hard for me to like see the queerness in these old movies. Um I mean, not that it's impossible for me, but I think like uh I think it's like my modern sensibility because um like I, like if I see a guy or a woman kind of acting opposite there like acting in like a non you know like conventional way and my mind isn't like oh that's uh-huh. queer code because like we know now that things are more fluid than that <laughs> you know like a guy not acting right. totally masculine doesn't mean that he's you know some fop or whatever and I, I think that's like I mean, I think that'll come... I think in our next couple movies that becomes more clear. But I think in this movie, like, I was really, like... Um, I mean, I think in the in this film, I it's not that I really had a hard time, but I almost felt like it was, like, almost, like, weirdly condescending to be, like, oh, this is a queer movie because of how the characters mm. are as- acting. I don't know, did you have that experience? Or am I just, like too modern
1: <laughs> or like the, uh, it's it's it, i think it's difficult to look at from this perspective simply because and i think you're gonna see this in older movies there's a certain like oh the queer characters are the crazy ones yeah. and the ones we have to watch out for right, and right. almost villainizing queerness so that can be a little difficult it also strangely for a movie that's like an hour and 12 minutes long takes a while to get going uh, it's yeah. just kind of like okay, like and you. It's it, it was interesting to watch because I think you can see hints of. Uh, Movies in the future that took from this um, Whether you're talking about like Clue or Murder by Death or something like that Where like you know these people arrive In the rain and it's like Largely comic until they Until they get to where they're going And then it kind of devolves As the film goes Um, So that was interesting where I was like Oh I feel like I have seen this bit before Um, But just But this is it has I think it does Actually have a really difficult time in Balancing those tones I think it manages it by the end. But there are moments here and there where I'm kind of like, man, you know, James Whale, like, you have to make a choice here. Like, this is, you know, are we going for the laughs? Are we going for the scares? Are we going for something in between? And it's like this is very much a your mileage may vary type movie. Because I know this movie is very highly thought of, uh, especially in a lot of horror circles. And a lot of that may just be because it was like it was the first to do all these things. Um, But in, but in watching, you know, the little, the family of freaks or whatever. um, I mean, one of the characters is, I mean, you watch him now and he's like almost a gay stereotype, Uh, like the way he moves his hands and the way he speaks and the way he interacts. You're like, this feels like a joke. But for that time that, you know, this was kind of like a, probably kind of shocking to see you know, essentially, your lead character, your guide through this old dark house, interact like that. And then yeah. you throw in the idea of this, like, very aggressive woman and very non-aggressive man. Like, this this weird partnership between the two people who live in this house uh, that you know of at the very beginning. And it's very strange, even now, to see the way they're interacting. Like, there's a whole sequence with this woman where, you know, the the young, beautiful woman who comes in, she's like kind of attacking her sexuality and attacking her body and all the the while, like, admiring it as well. So there is, like, there's, like, this judgmental aspect, but there's also a really sexually aggressive aspect to it, too. It is very strange to watch in 2020. It's so, yeah. I was,
0: like, um... It was just so... Yeah, it was just so weird. And, like, because I'm sitting here watching this being, like, should I be offended by this, but or should I be like kind of charmed by it? Should I be like, you know, or like should I be scared? Like I did, like I totally agree with you that I could not figure out the tone of this movie. And like, I mean, I watched it like, just you know, full disclosure, I watched it like ten o'clock in the morning, like sun was shining bright, so I wasn't in like the the like atmosphere of like you know, um, like, being kind of, like, creeped out or scared, I just felt like... <laughs> I almost felt like I was watching, like, I don't know, like, Twilight Zone kind of thing, you know, where it's just, mm, like... Yeah. You never really... You know how, like, no one's really scared watching, the Twilight Zone, you're just kind of, like, oh my god, this is kind of fun but, like, weird. <laughs> so, like, that's how I felt watching this movie and I I, I found it really hard I, and I, I found it really hard to kind of connect with it on any kind of level because of that and I was kind of annoyed, or not annoyed, but just a little, like, um, a little, like, maybe, like, wistful that I couldn't, like, watch this, um, like, in, in, like, a midnight crowd with, you know, on, like, in October, you know what I mean? Like, you couldn't have that, like, I don't know. I couldn't have that experience.
1: I, I, I feel like if I had that experience, I would probably just be annoyed, <laughs> uh, because I, cause I, like, <laughs> I don't know that I would find this like more engaging at night or more engaging with a crowd. I would just be kind of looking around, like, "What is wrong with you people? Why are you so excited (laughs) by this?" Like, it feels like sometimes, like, okay, so this is a shitty thing to say. So I'm gonna preface that. But sometimes, um, when I talk about movies online especially with the horror crowd some of it feels like play acting Uh, some of it feels like oh my god it's the best thing ever because you know james whale did it or this happened or that happened and i'm like But is it is it the best thing ever or was it just the only thing ever in the 1930s? So we're like latching onto this. And sometimes I feel like that with queer movies, too, where it's like as we go through the 1930s, 1940s, maybe even the 1950s, there's going to be moments where we're like, oh, God, are we reaching here? Like, is this really a queer movie? Is this something that should be celebrated? And I like what you said about like this idea of I don't know if I should be offended or not. And I had this I had the same reaction. As I was watching it, and I was like, oh, well, this is m- what what it must be like to be a woman and watch anything, you know, pre-1990, where you're like, yeah, okay, yeah. this is enjoyable, but like, God, ah, the right. way women are being treated, the way women are being presented, this fucking sucks, man, like, this is not so great, and I kind of felt the same way, but I will say, like, um, I think, uh, you know, Boris Karloff is maybe one of the greatest physical actors to ever live and you get a lot of that here because like there's he's playing a character who basically doesn't speak at least in any intelligible language right. uh, but it's an, an impressive performance like he's just you know, obviously, most famous for playing Frankenstein's monster. Um, I think he was also in, uh, if I'm remembering right, he was in the like Phantom of the Opera, and he's in. The, I mean, he's just tremendous, uh, and he's great here. Um, and physically, it really works. He's the only, he's one of the only characters that I think um, brings any kind of intimidation or scariness. Mm-hmm. Um, even even the supposed like worst of the bunch. Who like escapes and tries to set fire to everybody and all that, like much more comical than scary. Like he's just, yeah, and yeah. some of it is because he's kind of he's kind of diminutive and kind of like laughing through everything, so you have a hard time taking him seriously. Uh, so yeah, I think I think to me Boris Karloff is the real standout of this movie. I mean, I think the you know because for people who don't know the plot, it's like essentially this couple gets stuck and they have to go to this old dark house to get, to get out of the rain. Uh, and then another, another group comes and is like, and Charles Lawton is there. And by the way, Charles Lawton, I don't know if people know this, but like that dude was like in every, he was in everything Yeah. in the, yeah. in the 1930s. Like, I'm on another podcast that looks at Oscar winners, so I watch all the Oscar-nominated movies. And there's, like, a year where he's in four of the Oscar-nominated Best Picture movies. Like, he's just always there. He's like if Daniel Day-Lewis had a serious work ethic when it, when it comes to film. Like, he's just, like, constantly in movies, and everything he does is really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he plays kind of the, like, uh, kind of the the, the jerk character at least when he first shows up and he plays it very very well Uh, like it's just kind of tremendous but also like ends up kind of nice like because like the girl he's with ends up going with this other guy and he's like kind of cool with it mostly he's like alright you know that's fine you guys seem to love each other Go have a good time. Uh, so they all come to this house and ends up there's o- obviously everything's creepy and every, you know, there's sounds coming through the house and there's weird people there. Uh, and it ends up there's even weirder people that are locked up because those are the ones that are really dangerous and hilarity and scares ensue, I guess. Uh, it's like it's, it's a very difficult movie. It, I I. You know, when I first turned it on, I was like, 72 minutes. Fuck yeah, this is great. All right, I'm going to knock this out. It's going to no, be fun. Kind of is it's going to be quick. Uh, I don't mean to cut you off, but
0: I think it's the exception to the rule that short movies are inherently better and more engaging.
1: Yes, I absolutely agree. Because, like, I mean, you know how hard it is to end up looking at your watch in a 72 minute movie? I mean, that's yeah. like an episode of Sopranos. Like, yeah. that's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it, like, it, like, it's not that it's slow, it's that it staggers. Like, as you're kind of, like, there's, it's one of those, like, takes five steps forward and then three steps back. So you're, you're, you're making headway. It's, you know, the plot is moving forward, but there's a lot of sequences of long monologuing. Like, when you have kind of the, the older character show up and kind of tell you the story of, like, why they blocked this dude in the, in the attic or whatever. It's like, yeah. oh, my God, come on. Interesting makeup work, though. I enjoyed oh, yeah. that. I mean, like, I think uh, this movie looks really cool.
0: But I, yeah, I really struggle to be engaged with it, and I think honestly, like I, I can be very, uh, very easily persuaded by a crowd. So if I were watching this with a more like um, kind of that midnight crowd, I think I, I might have been engaged more just because like mm. watching it by myself, like, again, wouldn't like, sun, 10, in like well, yeah, <laughs> 10 in the morning. Yeah. 10 in the morning. Eating outside. breakfast while yeah. watching yeah. the old
1: dark house. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, I don't know. Don't let yourself be swayed by these horror <laughs> nerds. Don't <Look. laughs> like they love everything. Like, have you seen them online? It's like worst movie ever made. Can't wait. Like, oh God, come on. Well, there's <laughs> a reason why November 1st is my favorite day of the year. <laughs> oh God! I can finally tell them to shut up. <laughs> it's oh, finally my. time to watch anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I mean, it's yeah. it's uh, this movie is very well thought of. So, like, I don't want to like just shit on it, but like when I think of uh, when I think of James Well, Well, I'm gonna think of Frankenstein and Bride. Like those yeah, are, yeah,
0: I mean, those are more engaging. They're more engaging.
1: Um, they're more the, engaging. Yeah. They pulled up now, and like this feels. This feels dated in some good ways and in some bad ways. Whereas something like Bride of Frankenstein feels strangely modern, not only in its politics, but in the way the film moves, the way it looks. I think the only thing where there's like one moment in this movie where I was like, oh, and it kind of shook me out of like – my days of board for 70 minutes or so is when the like knife goes flying yeah. from our lead, vi- our lead villain's hand and it's like very well staged I mean you gotta give James Whale that and in terms of the house in terms of like the structure and like kind of the art direction of this movie absolutely stunning absolutely beautiful that stuff all really works
0: yeah one part that did um, resonate me I think beyond the visuals is this, like this idea of this like castle as like kind of this like home of outsiders and I I think aside from, like, the gay stereotypes, I think um, this movie kind of hits at that, like, found family kind of thing. Yes. Where, which it's such a, like, cliche now with, like, you know, shows like Pose and, like, um, I think any, like, any, like, a queer movie about, like, young people, I think, hits at that. But, like, I, I wonder if, you know, back then, you know, 80 or so years ago, almost 90 years ago, um, if like that was something that James Whale was thinking about, you know, because he must have had his own little circle yes. of you know horror gaze, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's undeniable that yeah. he was thinking about that, and like, yes, that is at this point it has been done to death, but that doesn't mean it's still not powerful. Like, I th- I actually just uh, just watched the first season of Pose for the yeah. first time. Uh, like maybe a month ago, and it's incredibly moving um, that that found family aspect. So, uh, like, there's a reason why that exists, is because that. I mean, that was the experience for me growing up. Growing up queer is like you had to find your people because you couldn't trust that everybody. Yeah. Not like not like everybody is dangerous, but you can't just blindly trust like straight people do. That when you tell them, oh, I have a crush on blank. They're not gonna freak out. Right. So you have to like or find worse. the people right. who are right for you and who are safe. Um, and, and, and sometimes within that safety, there is danger as well. Like just because someone is queer doesn't mean necessarily they are the best person to be in your life. Uh, and I think you, you know, you have some of that here where you have these kind of queer coded characters, but they're not exactly safe. And some of them in this case are so dangerous that they have to be like locked in the basement or whatever, or they'll lose their mind, you know? Oh, and by the way, Charles Lawton, who I mentioned, who is kind of the moneyed character. I was just looking at IMDb. Do you remember what his name was? The character's name? <laughs> oh, I'm looking at it now, but please tell me, <laughs> Sir, Sir William Porterhouse. That is a great <laughs> joke. I mean, that is. I mean, I gotta give it. To, I mean, I don't know if that's in the book as well. I do because it's based on a novel. I don't know how much is taken from it, but that is a great moneyed name. Yeah, like that. Yeah. That. A, that really hits and and I will say like I think uh Lillian Bond who's kind of the like lead female character Gladys is stunning just absolutely gorgeous in this movie and like you and there's a little bit of male gaze stuff going on which is very strange to say with a with a gay director uh, but that scene that I mentioned where she's kind of being both attacked and sexualized in that scene it's like almost uncomfortable the way the camera lingers specifically on her legs like it's like and that was you know it's a big deal in the the 30s like you know it's not exactly de palma doing femme fatale but you know uh for the for 1934 so it's uh it's a lot um yeah but it's but it's also very well performed it's actually i think that's the best scene in the movie with the two women together like that absolutely works in in a not so much scary but like kind of creepy level And, and the way it's kind of taking a look at like sexual politics and gender and and uh, kind of performing of gender, like it's got it's like a two-minute scene, but there's a lot going on there. The stuff with our you know, our lead queer male character is, you know, I mean, he's kind of, like I said, pretty stereotypical kind of swishy with the hand movements and easily frightened and easily yeah. kind of uh, dominated by by the, the female character, and I'm like, oh, okay, come on James Whale, do better than this, you're, you're actually a gay man, what are you doing? Like... <laughs> But maybe in the 1930s, this is like, okay, I can only put so much in here before the studios are going to be like, okay, that's enough. That's enough. Not James. only that, but I
0: think maybe there might be an element of like self deprecation or like parody, <laughs> you know, like if that's sort of the stereotype that's is kind of going around, you know, that sort of like high, high class set of like these flamboyant, swishy, I think, you know, maybe he's doing a commentary on it. I don't know. I mean, I I can't imagine that he wouldn't have the like self-awareness to like be doing something with that. But I think in the execution, I'm not sure it totally lands.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll absolutely, I'd absolutely agree with that. I was also just looking at IMDb and like, I love looking at like these old taglines, uh, (laughs) because especially in the thirties, it's always so frigging dramatic. Uh, I think, uh, I think studios have learned their lesson now because people will like look at the taglines later and be like, oh really was it? Was it that good? Was it the greatest <laughs> film of all time? Yeah, yeah. This one is more thrilling than Dracula, more mysterious than Frankenstein, the spookiest of them all. Like that is I was like, I mean, eh, even I yeah, that sound, yeah, that's not two. even actors. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Like <laughs> But it's you know, they're they're giving it their best shot. They're, yeah. they're really trying. And also, I mentioned Charles Lawton a bunch of times. Apparently, this is the first American film that he ever did. Every other film he did was uh, in the United Kingdom. Oh, so wow. this, this was a big moment for him. And I think he's really good. I think he's really enjoyable. And it would have been very easy to play that character in a kind of hateful way. Um, but instead, it's like it's like weirdly endearing even though his name is you know lord porterhouse or whatever it is <laughs> it's still it still really really works and I, I think most of the performances are really good here i just wish there was more meat to it i wish there was something because yeah, essentially yeah. it's just they all go to a house it's creepy and then the really bad guy gets out and everyone and tries to kill everybody in the end like it's not you know uh no. Uh, one thing I really did like is when they tell the the creepy family, the you know the family of queers, that like you know oh it's really bad out there. You could see actual fear from them too, which I think is an interesting way to play that. Instead of them just being the villains and like oh we don't care if it's storming outside, like they're afraid of the outside world. You talked about this kind of enclave, this like this escape, this family, and now it's like the 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 actual world encroaching on that, and I think you get a sense of that.
0: Yeah, um, I do have to say that my favorite scene was actually with uh, Gloria Stewart. You know, she goes to um, the railing and drops the heart of the ocean into the sea. So <laughs> so affecting. <laughs> Um, No, but, like, honestly, when I saw the name, I was like, wait, that name looks so familiar for someone who's, like, you know, eighth build in this movie, right? Like, a lot of these, like, smaller supporting actors, you don't really know. And I was like, Gloria Stewart, like, why do I know that name? And then I was like, of course, it's my girl (laughs) Rose.
1: Like on a queer podcast, you managed to make it like so much more gay. I am so impressed. <laughs> well done. Well done. Uh, um, look, I was not gonna let
0: Flora Stewart go by like that. You know, I gotta gotta give a shout out
1: to. <laughs> Absolutely, you got to do it. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, I mean, I think we've kind of exhausted. I mean, it's like sometimes we want to make these episodes a little longer, but like, you know, the movie's only an hour long. We're not going to spend like 45 minutes discussing a 70 minute movie. That seems a little overkill. And when it comes to the queerness, there's so little to grab onto. And I think that is the challenge of these older movies is there is so much less freedom in what we could put on screen. And like, I think we've, we've kind of covered what was there. So, um, so I guess we'll move um, to kind of what, what you think, you know, we've learned uh, about queer cinema in watching this movie. So, is there anything that jumps out to you about the old dark house?
0: You know, I think uh, I, I think a concept like sort of the sound family—you always kind of think of that as something very uh, modern. Um, and I mean, I guess like in terms of. Like queerness specifically, I, I would always think of something as like that maybe like seventies that started with the seventies, you know, with like the uh, I don't know like the hippie movement, I guess I don't know maybe it's just my own right. just like ignorance or whatever. But I was just thought of it as something that's like recent, but I guess seeing it something like that portrayed in this movie just goes to show that like we were always finding each other, right? And yeah, finding our own little hideaways from you know the. metaphorical storm outside
1: yeah yeah absolutely so I love that you took the positive so I'm gonna take the negative (laughs) I mean I think I think to me and like no shade at James Whale like this this reeks of internalized homophobia to me Mm. um so it's interesting to see a movie where queerness is at least mildly vilified and it's not just from the straight lens that that is done I think sometimes it is It's so secret and it's so dark and it's so hidden that sometimes even when the person behind the camera and the person writing the movie is queer maybe, um, you're still going to get some of that negativity. So we still have to kind of keep a lookout for that because one of the the things in our very first episode if you go back and listen one of the things we're looking for is we're looking for you know queer people either behind the camera or in front of the camera but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a queer movie that you find like acceptable or find happy right Uh, especially yeah exactly especially back in the 1930s you know not like being queer is super easy now like no problems but man in comparison like I'll take 2020 queer Queerness over nineteen thirties queerness any day. Right, uh, right. I will absolutely take that. So it's interesting to see to actually see that come to fruition in a movie. Like as I'm watching it, knowing that there's a queer person behind the camera, and yet still feeling almost offended uh, by the way queerness is presented on the screen here. So that was that was very interesting to learn for me. Uh, so as always, we'll talk about the Russo test. Um, so the first piece is it has to contain a character that is identifiably lesbian, gay, bisexual, or trans. So do you think this movie has someone who's identifiably gay? Um, hmm.
0: See, the word identifiably always trips us up because, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, would they identify as such? You know, we don't really know. I don't, I don't think they
1: would. I think this this fails that part of the test it kind of does but it it also depends on how you read that piece right does identifiably gay mean they identify or or it's clear that they are right Right. because if it's clear that they are i think there's at least two characters uh in this that are identifiably gay uh or at least coded that way so maybe half and half on that one yeah um yeah uh, the second part is the character must not be solely or predominantly defined by their orientation or gender identity and I don't know about you, but I think it passes this one. I, I, you I know, agree. I think, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're three dimensional characters. They're going through some stuff. They're not just. And I think them not identifying as gay makes it easier for them to pass as number two. Right. Right. Because yeah. Yeah. That, you don't have, that's exactly you sure don't have to I lean have. on that. Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, and third, that character must be tied into the plot in such a way that their removal would have a significant effect. I think it obviously passes this yeah, because like, if you don't have these characters, you don't have an old dark house, you don't, you know, so it's like, I, I would probably say this doesn't pass. Cause I do feel like that first one is a stretch. I think coding is not enough. Right. Uh, yeah. Because you could have, and it, and that's what I was meaning when we were talking about kind of the difference between performance of gender and sexuality. Like, really, the only moment that you could reach and say, like, okay, this is an identifiably queer character is that interaction between the two women. Because there have been men throughout history who are not gay, but, you know, but are swishy or have those, have, have that way of speaking. See, you know, I my, remember yeah, my
0: thing is like, I don't ever want to identify someone who is coded as queer, right? If the only like identifiers are gender, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like unless, yes. To me, it's like if someone expresses any kind of queer, you know, same sex adjacent, whatever you want to call it, attraction, then I'm like, okay, yeah. And even if that's like something they don't say, but they do. You know, like, we were talking, like, with, um, like, calling By Your Name, where it's, like, Oliver, like, expresses same-sex attraction, even if he won't say that he is or isn't. But, like, he's identifiable because he he does that. But, like, if it's just a yeah, just a stereotype, just, you know, coding, just, like, gender expression, because you can have any kind of gender expression you want and not be... I mean, I guess this is a much headier topic than... Sure, um, but I, I, I just, uh, to me, I, I, I can agree that it's a stretch, but I really can't agree that they like. It's a stretch, but it's like, you know, Elastigirl stretching to me.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely, you know? and it. You know, it makes me think of. I'm going to use a word that is offensive to many people, so prepare yourself for that. But I remember when I was in, when I was in theater. Um, I remember hearing this conversation between a straight man and a gay man backstage, and the straight man was pretty like a lot of people assumed he was gay, not only because he was in theater, but the way he acted. Right. And the gay person would constantly say, "You know, you don't have to. You don't have to be gay to be a fag." Right. Like it's like right. that right. is the kind of interaction I'm talking about. Like just seeing that someone is uh, flamboyant doesn't necessarily mean that they're gay, right? right? Like. Right sure there may be a fair amount of crossover in that venn diagram but there are some straight people who are way more flamboyant than most gay people I've ever met so we i would not feel comfortable like making that assessment and making that identification and i think you bring up a great point like someone doesn't have to say that they're queer if they are doing things that are queer right if they are if you can see the same sex attraction, if you can see that romantic attraction, then like, okay, that person is identifiably queer to the audience. Right. right? Right. Uh, but I, but I don't think it quite makes it here. So yeah. All right. Um, so (laughs) that is, that is the old dark house. Um, so we're wrapping up now and the next, uh, the next movie we're going to talk about, uh, funnily enough is called ladies they talk about uh and if you want to catch up on that before we do that episode um you can find it on itunes Uh, i think you can rent it for like four dollars or buy it for like six so you know if you're gonna end up watching it twice probably worth the purchase price rather than the rental price but uh so but before we go um manish why don't you tell people uh, where they can find you online
0: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at thebenish eighty um, nine, and also uh, this podcast you can find at Queer Now Pod, and um, my other podcast uh, It Pod To Be You, which you can find at at It Pod To Be You. And how about you, Dave?
1: Uh, so if you listen to older episodes uh, you'll notice that this has changed uh, now because uh, I wanted to make it a little bit easier so you can find me on Twitter at DarnThatDave uh, which is exactly the reaction I hope to get uh, every time I'm on Twitter yes. it's people just shaking their fists <laughs> at me metaphorically um, so you can find me there and I have a number of other podcasts one of them is a podcast about uh, directors and going through their movies film by film uh, and that's called A Podcast can Directed By and you can find us on Twitter at Tom directed by and-